Welcome to Hour of Power. Somebody asked me the other day, I, and I was telling them, and so I'll tell you because a lot of people wonder how I got that name. Because some of you think that uh, I got that name from Shuler, that Robert Shuler used to have the television program. Well, a long time before that, back in when I started the Bible school in 1958, <laughs> we were in, a bunch of us boys were in the prayer room praying one night, and we were just discussing church services and a lot of different things, just meditating, praying, talking. And one guy said, you know, he said, Wednesday night I go, and he said, I, when I was a kid and I had to get home and get schoolwork, and we was there all night, and I, I just popped up. I don't know why, and I just said, if I ever have a Wednesday night service, if I ever pastor, we're going to have, I'm going to call it an hour of power, and that's what we do. We start at 7, and then you're out of here by 8, unless I get turned on and something else happens. But most of the time, we're out of here by 8 o'clock. Now, I want to talk to you tonight about something Getting rid of the giants. You know, Numbers 1330. I speak a lot from the children of Israel, especially as they were going from Egypt to the promised land, because there's so much that we can learn from them. And actually, Paul said that what happened to the children of Israel was, happened as examples for us. Well, what, it's examples what to do and what not to do. So as we read this, then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and take possession for we're well able to overcome him. But the men who had gone up with him said, we're not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we are. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out. The land through which we've gone as spies is a land that devours the inhabitants and all the people we saw there were men of great statue. There we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak came from the giants and we were like grasshoppers in our own side and so were we in their side. Now I want you to notice that they said they saw the giants and they felt like a grasshopper. You know, some of the problems that we come up against seem like that they're giants and that we're, we're an ant, you know? Now, here, this is the story of the 12 men that came back from uh, spying out the land of Canaan. But I want you to notice, they came back with conflicting reports. 10 of them came back with one report Two of them came back with another report. Caleb and, Caleb and Joshua came back and said, hey, we're well able to take the land. The other 10 said, no, there are giants there. It's impossible. Caleb and Joshua said, well, God said he's given us the land. If he said it, we can do it. They said, no, we can't. And because they said we can't, they spent 40 years in the desert. And if you'll read that first chapter of Joshua, when Joshua took over to lead to, into the promised land, in the last verse of that first chapter, after, 
after Joshua told the people, this is what we're going to do. We're going to go across the river Jordan, so forth and so on. In that last chapter, the, the people said, if anybody doesn't want to obey your words, we're going we're gonna to kill them. We're going to get rid of them. Now, who was saying that? The kids and the grandkids of the people that refused to go in the promised land, they said, we're tired of the desert and nobody's going to keep us from getting the promised land. They weren't afraid of the giants. We've got to get that same kind of attitude that, hey, there's nothing that's going to keep me from getting the promises of God that God said I could have right here in this word. See, God told them, he already told them, I'm going to give you the land. Now they had to go and possess it. God's told us about all the promises here, but we're the ones that have to go possess them. How do we do that? We possess them by faith. Now, you know, the giants try to come in and control your life. You know, what are they? Well, all kinds of insurmountable obstacles that come way our way, opposing forces, impossible situations that come your direction. Now, let's think about this for a little bit. You've got to, you know, the best way to approach something is to identify it. Find out what, 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 what's going on, what's happening. And so we need to identify the giants that try to rule our lives. You know, there's a, a, a giant of fear. Now, more people deal with fear than they let on like. Boy, y'all are quiet. But people hear the news. I'm talking about Christian people. I'm not talking about people outside. I'm talking about people in Christians. They hear the news. They hear this, they hear that. And fear, the enemy tries to put fear on them because if he can put fear in you, he can keep you from believing the promises of God. I quote many times that Timothy, not been given a spirit of fear, but a power and a love and a sound mind. I've quoted that many, many times in the middle of the night enemy wake you up trying to uh, get you in fear over some situation you know a lot of people have dealing with insecurity and you know I teach this especially in my redemptive reality classes but I teach it when I'm teaching it in, out in ministry too but there is no reason to feel insecure when you are in Christ. There's a little book back there by the, put out by the man by the, has that, my same name. It's called In Him. It talks about who we are in Christ and it lists all those scriptures. When you begin to understand who you are in Christ, then there's, there, there's no room for insecurity. But until you understand who you are in Christ, the devil will try to put the giant of insecurity in your path. Oh, well, 
Now, you know, you're you just nothing. You, you, you're just a nobody. Everybody else in that church, you look at them. They're, the man, look how spiritual they are. And look, look, you're, you're not spiritual at all. That's it. Trying to make you feel insecure. <clears throat> That's the way the enemy works. Hello. You know, I was associate pastor of my father-in-law for six years before I came to work for dad for 31 years before he went home. And, you know, a group of people came and they were talking about a certain person and they, they were planning a special event for this person, a birthday party or something. But this person was so insecure that she heard, she came in and they were talking and they immediately quit talking and she immediately said, oh, y'all were talking about me, weren't you? <laughs> of course, none of y'all ever done that. I'm talking about somebody years ago. This happened back in, this happened back in six, 67, 68 years ago. None of y'all ever been that way. <laughs> See, that's how the enemy uses the giant of insecurity to get you out of fellowship with your friends out of fellowship with church. Come on now, I'm preaching too good for to be so quiet. <laughs> now there's another giant that comes banging on our door. It's called worry. There's a difference between worry and concern, okay? Anybody understand that? Look up the definitions of the two words and you can see there is a vast difference between them. I got a book out there that I taught called uh, How to Live Worry Free. I can't even remember the title. <laughs> you see, I, I've never written a book that I, I got a bunch of them back there but all of them, and my dad never wrote one. Lynette hadn't wrote one either, although she's got them. Craig hadn't wrote none either. He's got them. They all come from our teaching, and then they put it together in a book. And it's called How to Live Worry-Free. The Lord dealt with me about people living in worry, always worrying, being concerned, being worried about this and worried about that. Well, what if the... You know, you can really tell if somebody is worrying if they all of a sudden say, well, now wait, what if this happens? What are we going to do if this happens? Hello. It's all right to plan, but don't start worrying about something that hadn't even happened yet. Did you know most of the time the things you worry about never even happen? Come on now. Another giant that comes knocking at the door is lack and poverty. I mean, you know, the enemy wants you to live on Grummel Alley, right next door to Gone Gone Avenue. That's what he wants you to do. He will start to tell you now, you know, hey, you know, you Christians, you, you know, you, you're not supposed to have nothing. Oh, you can, 
rejoice because you're going to get something one of these days. But right now you don't have, it's not. Hey, there is a wrong way over here in prosperity. And some people have pushed it too far this way. And there's some people that push it too far this way and don't have any at all. And my dad used to say this, it's down the middle, son, a balance. He said, people swing over here on this side or they swing over here on this side when actually the balance is in the middle. You know, of course, we, we, we all see the, have faced and do face the sickness and disease. You know, these are real giants that come into our life, right? How many of you out of these, and there's a whole lot more I could name, but out of these that I've named, how many of you have ever have to deal with one or more of them? Oh, thank God for 155 people that ripped their hands out of this whole crowd. You know, you ever realize if you've been preaching as long as I have, you ask that, you ask the question to the congregation and always only about a third of them will raise their hand. Hey, you, you preachers over here, any, y'all, y'all have observed that <laughs> staff members. Yeah, my father-in-law tells this. He tells this for the truth. I don't know, but my father-in-law used to tell this. V.E. Tipton, <clears throat> two people that <clears throat> I stand on the shoulders of these two men, Kenneth E. Hagin, my father, and my father-in-law, V.E. Tipton. I stand on those two men's shoulders. I am where I am today because I learned from them. I, was, I watched them. I was mentored by them. And, of course, I grew up in my dad's house. And so he tells this story one day. The, the minister got up one Sunday morning and said, how many of y'all want to go to heaven? And everybody raised their hand except one man right on front row. And he said, well, listen, I, don't you want to go? Oh, yeah, I want to go to heaven, but I thought you was getting up a load to go right now. <laughs> now I got everybody's attention. We'll continue. The enemy has a way of making you see giants that aren't there. They're just shadows. He likes to get you looking at something and beginning to look at it. It's just a shadow. It's not, it doesn't exist, but he's trying to make it exist. Make you think it exists. You know, I guarantee you, every one of us have had a shadow of something at some time has either been a, a lot of times it, it, it fear causes fear to come in, but shadows, he twists things, you know, shadows make, try to or make you believe something is true. That's not Hello story about a man and this happened years ago whenever we had clotheslines anybody know what a clothesline is <laughs> for you young people that don't know what a clothesline is uh, used to when we washed our clothes we had to take them outside and hang them on the line to dry it was called a clothesline 
And so he, 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 in the middle of the night, something, he heard something or something, something woke him up. He looked out the window and he saw what looked like a, a person moving out there. And he grabbed his shotgun and opened the door and fired a couple of shots. And about that time, his wife started screaming, what are you doing, you crazy idiot? You just shot my best dress full of holes hanging on the clothesline. Sometimes things look like what they're not. And the enemy uses that to get you out of possessing the promised land. Our promised land is possessing all of the promises that God promised. Their promised land was actually a land they had to possess. We do this by faith. They did it by actually actually taking it, physically taking it. You know, I, I don't know. I was about 13 maybe somewhere 12, 13 in that area. And, uh, and I was sleeping and, and I, that old, that old north wind, it gets to blowing, coming around the corner of the house. How many of y'all have ever heard this sound? <whistles> that old north wind blowing. And I, I woke up and I looked and we we had shades. Some of y'all don't even know nothing about a shade. It's just, we didn't have blinds, Venetian blinds. We had shades. You pull it down. You better make sure it, it clicks before you let it go because it's going to go boom. <laughs> and so I looked out the window and we had a shade and the porch light was on on the port, front porch, uh, the back porch where I was sleeping in the back. And I heard this, this sound, something scraping against it, and, and it looked like it would come down, and, and, and on that shade, it had a shadow, it looked like a man's hand. And then it'd go back, and then it'd come again, and I covered up my head. And then I thought, well, that's this stupid. And so I got up, I went over and opened the door, and there's that wind blowing that old mimosa tree out there. And it was scraping the side of the house. And when it come down, the limbs made it look like a hand. Now, there I was getting all frightened over a shadow. What I'm trying to say to you is the enemy will try to get you out of getting the promises of God by something that's not even real. You got to evaluate the giant. David evaluated, he realized that giant was bigger than him. But you know what? He told the giant, You come at me with all of your armor, sword, spears. I'm coming at you in the name of the Lord God Jehovah. See, we need to get to the same point when we go. We face the enemy. We come face the enemy telling them, I'm enemy, I'm coming against you and the word of God needs to be coming out of your mouth. You know, I played sports in high school and we sat in there with the coach and we evaluated and so, 
we looked at films then, but nowadays it's, they got the video and stuff, so forth. And we evaluated that team. We looked at their strengths and their weaknesses. Any of you guys played football ever done that? Yeah, our basketball. You look at their strengths and their weaknesses. And you find out, you know, if they are real strong in the middle of that line, that middle guard and those two guards on each side are real strong, there is no use. And now I don't know what they call it now. Back when I, when I was playing, you had the quarterback. He was number one. Halfback here was number two. Fullback was number number three. And the other halfback was number four. And it was called the T formation. And we would run... 34 dive well that would be <laughs> our 31 dive that would be the 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 fullback going through the one hole but if they are strong in the middle we're not going to run that play they're going to call me and tell me we we're going to run 48 that would be around the end because that's where they're weak at you see we need to begin to realize the enemy is is going, he is going to come at you where your weakness is. So you shore up where your weakness is. That's why we we would look and see what their strengths were and where our weaknesses were. And on our defense, we would prepare our defense to stop their strength because we have to adjust because we weak in that area. Okay, there's Craig sitting there in the eighth grade. We, they, we had over in Tulsa, they had something called the TJA, the Tulsa Junior Athletic Association. And you played in that until you went to the ninth grade and they, and they start playing. Back then you started playing ball, school ball. And we, we come up again, we play in this team for the championship. Well, they had, they had one running back that had had, nobody could stop him. He run around the end. He never run up in the middle of the line. He always run around the ends. And so I designed, I, I, I went and watched him play and I designed a defense to stop him. So I took my kicks, a defensive end. Craig was the cornerback back behind, the defensive back behind him. And I said, you, you guys, I don't care. I know you normally play th- on this side, but you, you always go line up on the wide side of the field where the wide side is because when they push the ball over here. And I said, and then you, I want you to, I told Mike, I said, I want you to split out about four or five yards more than you normally play out there. And then Craig said, I want, I want you outside of him. I had Doug Hingsley was my middle linebacker. I said, Doug, I want you to shoot to the inside. I said, Mike and Craig are going to hold him up. And Doug was one of these guys that he liked, he liked to hit. I said, I want you to knock the fire out of him. I'm, I'm honest. Craig will tell you this is the truth. It was just about halftime. He come running around the end over here. And there was Craig and Mike had him and he saw them. He run out of bounds. He didn't do anything. The rest of that, that whole, that did he Craig? 
Didn't, he didn't score a touchdown. He scored one. It got called back and because uh, the guy hit, hit Craig was chasing him and the guy knocked him down once, hit him in the back of the legs. He come back up and the guy hit him again. They throw it. Every, every referee threw the flag. But you see, what I did, I looked at that team and I designed something to combat it. Let me tell you something. The enemy's out there. But if you get in this word and know this word, there is something in here that is designed to combat any situation, anything that he brings to you. Hello. Don't, you see, those people were afraid of the giants. Caleb and Joshua wasn't afraid of the giants. They said, we can take it. We can take the land. And they're the only two of the old crowd that went in there. They went in because they had another spirit. They had the spirit of faith. Anyone who wins a battle, hey, you got to identify your weapons. What do you have? You got the word of God. You got the spirit of God. You got the angels, the ministering spirits. If you, I don't have time to get, put you on a study of angels yourself, but the angels are ministering spirits that will minister to us. The Bible tells us that. I've heard my dad many times say, ministering spirits, go and cause. In fact, I do it with finances for this ministry and for myself personally. Ministering spirits, go and cause the finances to come. If you learn that, there's a, there, if you want to know how to, men, how to get finances, there's a there's a CD back there called uh, uh, Faith for Finances. Yeah, he talks about that in there. Get it? You got the, you got the name of Jesus. You got the blood of Jesus. The old saints, when I was growing up, they said, I plead the blood. We got the, you know, we used to sing a lot of songs about the blood. We hardly ever sing any of them about the blood anymore. You got the armor of God. Go over and read about it. Tells you what the, what the armor is. But make sure you put it on. Any of y'all go to school when Bo Moffat was dean of Ramah? How many of you put your armor on? He had you put your armor on every day, didn't he? <laughs> Part of the armor was the shield of faith. Come on now. I, I named that word of God, spirit of God, angels, name of Jesus, blood of Jesus, and the arm of God. Do you realize that any one of those can defeat the devil? You know what, though? We can use all of them. See, the devil is no match for a believer that knows how to yield, use the shield of faith. Taking the shield of faith, you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Giants may try to control your life, but you don't have to let them. It's up to you whether the enemy comes in and destroys you. You got a giant living on the inside of you that's bigger than anything that you're going to face. 
You're of God, little children, have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he that is in the world. The Holy Spirit lives on the inside of you. Holy Spirit's bigger than all of the demons in hell. He's bigger than the devil. He's bigger than any obstacle that you can face. He's bigger than any encounter that you're ever going to come against in difficulties. He's greater than any opposition that's going to come your direction. He's better than above all of those put together. You got to get to, you got to get no giant is a match for me because I got the Holy Spirit. You know, in the natural, my best sport, I played them all, but my best sport was track. I ran track. But you know what? I never stepped on that track. I never got down in a starting position. I never started running. That when I stepped on that track, I didn't believe there was anybody that could beat me. Come on. You got to have that kind of attitude when you come out against the devil. Hey, there's nothing he can throw at me that can take me down. <laughs> Let me tell you what. Holy Spirit never gets tired. His power is always the same. See, I got a little transmitter here on my, right, right here. There's a battery in there. And right now, that battery is draining. By the time the service is over, that battery is probably going to be down to about half full or maybe only a full, quarter full. Why? Because it's, it, the power is being sapped from it as we use it for amplification. Let me tell you what. How many of you got, how many of you got a, 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 one of them phones, them smartphones? How many of you will go home tonight before you go to bed, you'll plug it in so it'll charge up? Let me tell you what. You don't ever have to get the Holy Spirit charged up. He stays charged up. And that, could keep, that should keep you charged up. Come on. Well, the clock says 756. The truth is you get the giants out of your life by believing what God said. Caleb went into the promised land 40 years later. Now he's 85 years old because we know that because Joshua told him. He went to Joshua and said, give me my mountain because he had claimed the mountain. Do you know the mountain he had claimed had giants in it? He knew they were there. He saw them, but he, that didn't deter him. Why? Because he knew that his God was greater than any giant. I want you to say it. Your God is greater than any giant. Activate the power of God. Plead the blood of Jesus. Oh, praise God. Everybody stand. I'm finished. I'm really not finished, but I, I, I'm going to quit. Time to quit. Anybody get anything out of this tonight? Never let a giant talk you down. I want you to notice 
David didn't say a word when the giant was coming toward him. Am I a dog? Send this kid out here after me. David didn't say nothing. When he shut up, David said, listen, I'm going to take your head off. And I'm going to feed the carcasses of the Philistines to the birds of the air. Man, that's, that's a big statement. He don't even have any, he don't even have any armor on. He's a ruddy-faced 17-year-old kid or something around that, according to historians, with a slingshot. Wow. And this guy's nine feet tall. He was a, probably about five, six, they say, if they're, because of, that's the sign. But see, that didn't deter him. But he knew his power wasn't in his strength, but it was in his strength. Your power to defeat your giants is in his strength, not as your strength. You got something, bro? Hallelujah. Giants, you just watch them fall. Giants, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. Put the word in your mouth and let it flow from your heart. Because with God on your side, guess what? You already, you already won. Giants, you just watch them fall. Giants, the bigger they are, the harder they got to fall. Put the word in your heart. Let it flow from your mouth. Because with God on your side, you can't help it. You already won.